Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Dear friends, I uh, this is an interesting series of messages because as I'm as I prepared them, but also have started working through them each week, God teaches me new things. Now, you wouldn't think that would be true, would you? But He does. He teaches me things. You know, just when I thought I had the Scripture down and I knew exactly what was there, God shows me another aspect to it. Anybody that happened to you at all? When you think you know it, and then here it comes. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to explain to you what this word we're going to talk about today in a few minutes but today we're talking about the Church of Christ, God's field of cultivators. <laughs> I, I know that's not an exciting word, cultivator. But it's really cool if you look about how it was determined by Paul in the first place. It's actually used in two places, one in the Old and one in the New, in the Hebrew and the Greek. But either way, it's the same word, and it's translated the same way. And that's why I want to talk to you. But before I get there, when I was a kid growing up, you know, I, I, I lived and worked on a farm. Uh, when I was really young... Um, Grandpa had died, and so Grandma decided it would be easier just to cash rent the ground out, and we had someone else who came in and uh, farmed the ground. And then over time, what happened is that she would take, we would take half of the crops, he would take half, and they called it even. And then we, would, we had animals, we'd feed the animals, that sort of thing. And my brother got to the point where he decided he wanted to start farming it when he was a senior in high school. And then when he graduated, we took over full-time farming the ground. He started buying equipment. And it was interesting because at that moment, I had done some, you know, field work prior to that uh, with the farmer that did it. He always paid us, you know, to help, help do things. But nevertheless, I started to really get into it now because, in fact, I miss school lots of times at the, in the spring and in the fall. Any farmers know what I'm talking about? Amen? No farmers in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, you know how we went, you know, we had to walk to school, you know, uphill both ways, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I really did ride a bus in the morning. I really did. And he had to be on the bus at 10 till 7, okay? And because school started at 8, 15 or whatever, and we had, you know, I, where we lived was a, a pretty good distance from the school, like 10, 10 miles away. But we had to go to the elementary school nearby first, drop off the elementary kids, and then all the high school kids that were going would pop on any of the buses that were there and go to the high school, the middle school, what have you, okay? And you would tra- change buses two or three times. Anyway, uh, to make a long story short, we had to get up in the morning to feed the animals. Uh, I would get up at five or so in the morning, go feed the animals, come back home, try to get some breakfast before the bus was coming. And you always look down the road to see if the, bu- the flashlight's on the bus, you know? And so I remember doing those things. And there were some mornings uh, in the spring and the fall, if we got to school, we would go out and do some field work an hour or so, believe it or not, we would do it. 
And, uh, and I remember that at night, you know, my dad would come home from work, and uh, my brother and I had been in the field since the end of school, and uh, uh, dad would jump on a tractor, and whatever. And so my favorite tractor that we had was a John Deere 4020. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, probably my, it was a 4020 diesel. I love that thing. Uh, and it, did, it didn't have a top on it, but I liked it anyway. And it had a, uh, some of them have synchro range where you can just, you know, you can uh, uh, shift it without pushed into clutch, but this one didn't. You had to stop the vehicle and then, and then shift. But anyway, and so um, we had two plows and a big chisel plow. We, we plowed five bottom plow or six bottom plow, and I always got the 4020 with the five bottom plow, and it, it did a pretty good job with it. But I remember when uh, we got another tractor, we got a Minneapolis Moline, and then we got a white, and both of them were way bigger, and so my brother would start planting then uh, as I was either plowing or disking, and Dad would typically just run the chisel plow. We, we did both at the same time. And the interesting thing was, two, two schools of thought here. I always pulled that five-bottom plow, and then after we got those new tractors and the chisel plow, my dad said, well, you're gonna, we're going to hook up the six-bottom to that, to that John Deere, and you're going to plow with that. And I thought, okay, well, no big deal. Just one more bottom. I'm going to tell you something. It made a world of difference. You could get more done, but it pulled a lot harder. And that tractor didn't like it at all. And it wasn't, and I had to watch what I was doing. Because when you're plowing and you start, and you, and you get going along and you get in the muck and, or some clay and it's deep and, it's, and it gets heavy, um, the front end of the tractor will come right up, up and it, you can actually pull the thing back on you if you, if you weren't watching. And not only that, you got to be able to either, uh, you know, pull the plow up a little bit or you'll, you know, shut it down so you're not, you're not, not pulling. And we had duels on it, you know, and a lot of people don't like to plow duels, but I do because it gives you better traction. But you got to be careful there, turn them because it'll, it'll walk up on the tractor with you. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Okay. So anyway, I remember I was plowing, and, and, and when you get going, if the tractor doesn't come back on you, the duels will sit there and spin. And all you do is dig a big hole, and you're going to get stuck like that. Okay? And nobody likes to get stuck because if you do, you got to go get somebody to pull, pull you out. And usually you're not, it's a long distance to go somewhere because you're in the middle of the field way back, who knows where? Because we farm 500 acres. So it's a pretty good-sized farm, you know. And I remember uh, doing that stuff, and I thought, man, you know, this is crazy. Yeah, I can get more done, but it's harder to do. And then I would be disking after that, you know, and it took two processes, to plow and then to disc. And my dad was way faster. He would get a field done, and it was ready for planting because the, the new chisel plow was, first of all, wider and bigger. It had big arms. We would drop down on it, and it would disc and, and plow at the same time. And now they've got this thing called no-till. Don't till it at all. And here's the thing, friends. Throughout history, no matter how we tilled the ground, we've always tried to find an easier way to do it. Either bigger tractor, bigger implements, and more horsepower, or an easier, less cumbersome way. But no matter how you slice it, the ground's got to be tilled. Even the no-till stuff actually tills a little. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways of doing it. And sometimes it isn't easy, but the work has to be done every time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We talked last week about the house of God. What is the church of Christ? It's the house of God. And today we're going to find out that it's also God's field of cultivators. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to do out of the New Living today because I love the way it reads. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Now, I thought, what? When I was with you, I couldn't talk to you like I would spiritual people. What's he telling them? You're not very spiritual. Right? You're not very spiritual. Now, friends, what if I said that to you today? When I was with you last week, I couldn't talk to you like I would talk to spiritual people. What would you say? Well, well, skip that, Pastor. I'll go somewhere else and think I am spiritual. Right? Somebody would. But I assure you, I assure you in every church in the land, if it has any amount of people in it, the pastor probably knows some people in his or her congregation that they believe aren't very spiritual. Pastor Earl used to say when he was talking about certain people and he kept it in confidence, he said, well, nobody would ever accuse that person of being spiritual. Yallies. That's rough, isn't it? But that's exactly what Paul is saying. And you know what kills me? He's writing to the church at Corinth. I'm going to tell you about that church in a minute. Before I get there, who's in the church at Corinth? Christians. The last time I was with you, yeah, you call yourself a Christian, but I wouldn't call you spiritual. Whoa. You know what some people in here are thinking? I wonder if I'm spiritual. <laughs> That's a good question. He says, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? <laughs> I'd say it does. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with one another. You are jealous with one another and you are quarrel with one another. Aren't you living like people of the world? Because isn't that what they do? Aren't they jealous of one another? Don't they quarrel with one another? In other words, he's saying, if you're in the world, I expect you to do that. But if you're in the church of Christ, I do not. I do not. You know what I found out? Ladies, I'm not picking on you. But I'm going to tell you something. You go to any shopping mall in all of the world. It used to be that I thought that guys and gals, when they were in the shopping mall, would look at each other, the, op the opposite sex, and decide whether someone is attractive or not. That's not so today. You know what I found out? Ladies look at each other more than they do the guys. Why? Because they compare themselves to the lady that's walking toward them. It's the truth. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, ladies, am I right? Come on, am I right? Guys, if you do that, you need to make an appointment with me. I'm telling you right now. Okay? Because I don't care. I don't measure. Now, now here's what I, I might. I might measure another guy up if, if I think he's going to, you know, beat up on me or something for some reason. I might, I might, take, I might look at him pretty close. Anybody? But I, listen, and I'm telling you, if I'm walking down and I see Jay or I see Andrew or Bob, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go, well, you know, check him. I'm not going to do that. Right? I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care what their accessories are. I don't, I don't look at their shoes. I, never, I mean, who really looks at other people's shoes? Not, yeah, Frank, I know you do. But most, 
My son loves shoes. But listen, most of the time, we don't, right? We don't. But ladies, you do that. And you know, and I'm not telling you it's bad. I'm not telling you it's bad. And maybe some people observe one another, you know, to see what the new trends are. I don't know. But I don't look at another guy and say, well, you know, his shoes and his pants didn't match. But gals, you do that. Right? And either you like what they're wearing or you do not. And God forbid you run into somebody who's wearing the same outfit you are that day. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, friends, there's a big difference between the world and the church. There has to be. Now you're like, what does it have to do with people? I'm going to get there. When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. And each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Now the word translated worker and co-worker occurs two times in the Bible. Here in 2 Chronicles 26. Now, friends, I realize that as we look at the Scripture, there are several words throughout the Scripture that are translated worker or co-worker. But this particular word, which is also translated worker or co-worker, is only used twice. In the Greek, the word is georgion. Yeah, that's what I said, georgion. G-E-O-R-G-I-O-N with an accent on the first E. It's Georgion. So one is a G sound, one is a J sound, but it's Georgion. And you really can't inflect it properly, honestly. But that's the word. And in the Hebrew, it is also translated to the Greek as Georgion. The old King James translates it into a no longer old English word called husbandry. And you're probably thinking, husbandry? What's that got to do with being a worker? Because we look at husbandry or husband think it's, you know, somebody's spouse. That's not what it means in this case, but that's what was used. But the definition of the word has actually evolved over the years. In fact, we don't even use the word husbandry at all. You won't find any scripture in print today, even, even New King James, that uses that word because it's not used anymore. And there's a lot of words out there that aren't used anymore. I remember things grandma used to say, I never heard it in my life. And once in a while when I do it or use those words because grandma did it, people look at me like I'm crazy, like I'm speaking a foreign language because words go away. But this word has evolved. It's been translated over the years as farmer, digger, tiller of the soil, 
and here and now, just plain old cultivator. Now, clearly, Paul is using it as a metaphor where the local church is described as a field, a garden, or a vineyard under diligent toil being farmed, tilled, or cultivated. And guess what? You're in the local church today. And you are God's field, garden, or vineyard. We all are. We are as individuals, and we are together. And God says, the field, the garden, and the vineyard have to be worked. It has to be tilled. It has to be prepared so that the, God can grow the crops. How can the harvest fields be ready for harvest if there's no crop? And without tilling, no crop. This time of year is probably my least favorite because I look across all the fields. They're prepared for tillage, but they're not tilled yet. They're all bare. They're, you see the crops have been taken out from the last year, and everything's just barren. But when you see the farmers in the field and you smell that earth being turned, anybody know what I'm talking about? Now I know spring's coming. One of my favorite movies, Facing the Giants. The coach is reminded of a story in the Scripture, and then the person who delivers the story to him says, I heard about two farmers. Both of them prayed for rain, but only one prepared his fields to receive it. That sounds pretty biblical to me. And as I began to think about that, I realized that Paul is very suggestive as he rate, relates to our spiritual fruitfulness, our spiritual tillage, our spiritual crop. Let's face it, if you plant a garden, if you work it diligently, you care for it, you feed it and water it, and it doesn't produce fruits or vegetables, how happy are you going to be with the garden? Now, last year, I went to war <laughs> with deer, with I think squirrels, and I know rabbits. And I'm going to tell you what, yes, I, you, I don't care if it's in the city, I would have blasted every last one of them if I could see them. Because <laughs> they wiped my garden out. They did. It was overnight, too. I was feeling pretty darn confident. My beans had gotten up, the rabbits didn't get them, and so I thought, okay, so now they're big enough, now the rabbits can never wipe them out, and some deer came in and mowed the whole top of them off in one night. And brother, I know which one it is, too, and if I see her, mm, I can't promise she won't be in my freezer. But here's the deal. <laughs> Oh, don't owe me. Yes, that's right. But anyway, I mean, the deer goes good on the table right next to those beans. Right? <laughs> yeah, we might have a goat roast, yeah. yeah. I've done that before too. But anyway, so as I thought about this for a second, I thought, you know, I, nobody wants an unfruitful garden. Why would God? You know, but he's got a lot of them. I think. God is saying that every one of us has been given a field, a garden, and a vineyard. Part of it's us. Plus, what's around us. And He expects us to work it, to feed it, and to till it, to cultivate it. And He absolutely expects it to produce. The writer of Hebrews tells it properly. Hebrews 6, 7, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop, is useful to those for whom it is farmed and receives the blessing of God. 
And it's, it's, you know what, to me, what gets me? It's what he doesn't say. It's the opposite. And when you don't do that, you're not useful to God. I mean, is, is the farmer's field that's not tilled useful to him? No. Is God's garden or vineyard that's not tilled useful to him? No. What good is it then? It lies dormant and does nothing. While all the fields around it are producing or the vineyards around it are producing and yours isn't, there's something wrong. Now, I realize certain things happen where we got a flood or, you know, whatever, or it's too soft. To get, I get that. And, you know, last year, farmers were delayed getting into the fields, yeah? I get that. It happens. But not being able to get into the fields because of something, but trying to get in is one thing. But not trying is a different ballgame. Not wanting to is another ballgame. Well, gee, Fred, are you going to plant that field this year? Well, no. People would think he was foolish. But when God asks you, do you want to grow in me? Do you want to produce fruit for me? And you go, well, I don't know. See, we don't, we don't consider ourselves foolish for that because it's almost like it's an option. Like, it doesn't matter if we produce fruit or not. But if a farmer doesn't, then he's a bad farmer. Yeah? Does that make us a bad Christian if we won't? I'd say it does. Might mean you're no Christian at all. And I think that's what Paul's trying to tell us. And the more I thought about that, okay. If God expects us to work our garden, then the opposite word of cultivator or cultivating would suggest laziness or idleness or slothfulness. Boy, there's a word for you. I don't want to be called, called slothful. Anybody? I'd rather be called lazy than slothful. It just sounds worse. Doesn't it? You know anybody that's lazy? Anybody know somebody who's slothful? Yeah? Probably you do. Now, folks, I've planted gardens, and I didn't work them properly. And you know what happens? After a few days or even sometimes weeks, they don't look so good. Why? Because not only do weeds take over and make them ugly, but they also steal the nutrients from the plants that I want to produce. And oftentimes, they begin to choke the plants out, and that stunts the plant's growth. Did you ever notice that when weeds take over, they thrive in the garden? And the plants that you really want to grow wither and die. You see, this is what God's talking about in our spiritual garden. God doesn't care if you call it a field. He doesn't care if you call it a vineyard. He doesn't care if you call it a field or a garden. He doesn't care. He just wants you to realize that you have a place of work and that he expects you to work it. So Paul is examining both the place of the work and the worker. Why? Because God does. God examines every one of us. And one day we're going to give an accounting for that worker in the field that he gave us or the vineyard or the garden. Now, I know it's easier to put it out of your mind and say, well, you know, that's a long way off. <laughs> Might not be. In fact, I'm guessing it isn't. And, and even so, God's not concerned that you do this stuff because you're afraid of what he's going to say. He wants you to work it because you desire to. Doesn't he? Doesn't he prefer a person who wants to do these things? And see, all of us ought to be interested in what God says about us as workers. 
than what we've done with our garden or our vineyard or our field. But the question is two things. Number one, are we really cultivators and are we allowing ourselves to be cultivated? And so I begin to think about that as I looked at it and I go, okay, so why does Paul write this way? What on earth was going on that Paul had to write this stuff to the church at Corinth? I mean, this is Christians he's talking about. I mean, it could just as easily be first free life. It could. It could be first Maryland. It could be whatever, right? It could be any church out there today. Or it could be a city. It could be the first chapter of first Terre Haute. It could be whatever, the church at whatever city we're going to, because I think it's the same thing. Isn't God's word the same yesterday, today, and always? Okay, so why would that change? So God's writing to us, isn't he? So let's talk about the situation at Corinth. You see, Corinth was a city of great commerce. It was located on the peninsula that connected uh, it to mainland Greece. And as you can imagine, because it was a seaport, had a lot of activity there. A lot of sailors would come in, a lot of merchant ships, and, and when you've been out to sea for a long time, well, uh, you are glad to be on land. <laughs> Do I need to go further? They may know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you wanted to get a good meal, probably something that didn't come out of the water, but you were also looking for dirt. You wanted to blow off some steam, so to speak. You wanted to get out there and live it up a little. And usually that tended to be some type of opium or alcohol. Pastor Bob, yes or no? Sometimes they mixed them. That was always a dangerous thing. And sometimes guys would get, pass out and not wake up for two or three days. And you can only imagine what happens in those two or three days. So if you were looking for trouble, you would seriously find it. Because to get that stuff, you had to go to certain parts of the city where it was readily available. And let's face it, the hoity-toity of the city didn't want it in their part of town. Now, they would go to the bad area and then get back out, you see. That's kind of like today. And the problem is, because it was shady, Paul still went there and converted many Jews and Gentiles to be people of Christ, became Christians. But the Christian church struggled. Why? Because the Christians struggled, who were in the church, to be the person that Christ intended them to be. Because all the stuff was all around. And they were trying to figure out, do I want to live in this side with God? Or do I want to live over here with the shady people? And you know who runs that? And some people say, well, I kind of like, you know, what, what's going on over here, but I really want heaven, you know. I really do. And so, so they, they would find that line and they either went real close to it and kind of, or they would kind of go over here for a little bit and then come back over here for a little bit. You know, kind of like a drunk does on the road. You know why? Because a drunk doesn't have command of the faculties. And... When you're going in and out of God's kingdom and the devil's kingdom, neither do you. It doesn't matter if you're drunk or not. You're drunk with something. Probably deceit. 
But the fact of the matter is it's happening. And it was happening there. They clearly participated in things that they shouldn't. And because it was so commonplace, they began not to be concerned or convicted over their behavior. And so when Paul came to town and he's going, what's going on? They're like, nothing. Well, you don't, you don't see anything wrong with this? No. Everybody else is doing it. Well, it doesn't make it right. Just because the majority of people are doing it, even everybody in the church is doing it, does that make it right? Well, no. It doesn't make it right. And Paul said, well, listen, what, what, so how do, you, how do you say, well, this is okay? Well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so is a deacon, so-and-so is an elder and the pastor, you know, and they're all. And Paul said, okay, they're great folks, and, you know, I'm glad that, you know, you think they're good Christians and everything, but, you know, uh, huh, I don't know that God said that. In fact, I think God said something very different. Oh, you mean we got to look at the Bible to decide if it's right or wrong? Yeah. But you know, friends, I thought, well, surely in a modern society like today, we wouldn't be like that. We, surely, surely Christians in the church today wouldn't, wouldn't know that you had to go back to the Word of God to find out what's right and what's not. What kind of behavior God expects and what He doesn't. Surely we wouldn't just look at other people and who's doing what. Surely we wouldn't look at other churches or other Christians at our workplace or our schools or wherever and say, well, you know, they're doing it, so it must be all right. Surely we would know. And, you know, and I, and I got to believe that you can only claim so much that you didn't know. Because if the Spirit of God is in you, then the Spirit of God is going to be contrary to what the Spirit of the Antichrist wants to do. Yeah? And they don't match up well. They don't fit well, do they? The Bible says that good and evil cannot coexist. Jesus himself said it. You can't do it. And you know what, friends? <laughs> when in doubt, don't. Yeah? And if you don't know for sure, because you're not, you're kind of confused, and I, I know that, you know, you know, the spirit of the Antichrist is pulling you away from the, the spirit of God, and they're, and they're kind of having this war within, but the fact of the matter is, it doesn't take much to know what is and what isn't. Really, probably only a few minutes in the Scripture will give you your answer. I, I mean that. And you know what, friends? <clears throat> Even if you don't get a straight-up answer to a specific question, here's what I know you'll do. The Spirit will show you the generality of what's right and what's not. And you're going to know right there. So when people say, well, I, 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 I didn't know. I don't buy it because I know God's not going to buy it. Because when we meet the Savior, is He going to buy that? No. And so I began to think about that more and more. You see, they live separate lives. They began to elevate people and human opinions over the Word of God and what Paul was teaching. They even rebelled against this teaching and began to do two things. In church, they were one person. The rest of the time, they were just like everybody else. They refused to allow their spirituality to control their thoughts, their beliefs, their politics, and their behavior. I'm serious. Yeah, I said it. They refused to allow their spirituality to take over all those things and control them. They wanted to separate them. They thought spirituality, I'll stay in this box, and everything else ought to be over here. No, it doesn't work that way. 
Never has worked that way. And anybody that thinks that isn't controlled by the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist wants you to think that that's okay. Because he knows if you do it, you're less effective as a Christian. Now, who in here doesn't understand that? So when you start separating your, your personal life and your politics from spirituality, and someone says, separation of church and state, you're like, yeah, no. No. And I'm, the only one, I'm not the only one that thinks it. Okay? Now, I'm not here to talk about politics because the brewing garbage we got in Washington. But I am going to tell you that if I'm going to be a moral Christian, I have responsibility to the Word of God and the Spirit that lives within me. Don't we all? Having said that, these people, even though Paul taught them that, just couldn't see that practicing or believing in human societal norms was clearly not Christian. They just couldn't see it. Of course they couldn't. They didn't want to because they liked what they were doing. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't like the idea of gaining heaven but doing whatever you want? Yeah? And then Paul began to call them on the carpet for it, and he basically tells them that they should be able to handle meat, deep spiritual understanding, but as it is, they're still babies in Christ, and all he can give them is milk. And they were indignant about that too. And the second thing they were doing is ignoring <coughs> Paul's teaching as well as the Word of God, and they began to make their own brand of Christianity. <coughs> Excuse me. They began to make their own brand of Christianity. You see, that way, they figured they could reap the benefits of God's protection, His presence, His support, His help, and all of the blessings that He promised to bestow. But they didn't have to change their way of thinking. They didn't have to grow spiritually. They didn't have to be accountable. And they could basically live any way they wanted, believe any way they wanted. And then Paul shut that down too. And what do you suppose happened? They didn't want to listen. So much so, he had to write him a second letter. <laughs> And then he made sure to tell them that neither he or Apollos were any different than anybody else. In other words, hey, we put our drawers on just like you do. The difference is we have the Spirit of Christ and you don't. It was given you, but you've thrown it out. You've, you've carved more space in your life and in your field for the Spirit of the Antichrist. They cannot live in the same vessel. But that's what you're doing. That you tell me who's ruling you. So he told him. He says, you shouldn't put your faith into people or in what other people say. But when you listen to what other, others say and what, what others look at, look at what, when you look at what others do, compare it to Scripture and see if it matches up or goes against it. Does it match up with Scripture or does it go against it? He even tells them to match his words, what he was saying. His beliefs and his actions against the Scripture so that they would know he was completely filled with the Spirit and that he was being obedient. And if he was being obedient, what were they when they didn't want to hear it? Why is it that we want to shoot the messenger? You really want to take that to the next level? If we're going to shoot the messenger of the Word of God today, who was the first messenger? <laughs> And that's exactly what they did to him, too, wasn't it? That's exactly what the people did. They crucified him. 
Wow. And these are the people that were Jews. The Jews crucified him. They forced the Romans to do it. Do you understand that? And then Paul comes back and he lastly tells them that everybody is going to be rewarded for their own spiritual effort. And likewise, they're going to be held accountable for those efforts that are wrong. And even when they didn't make an effort to be a better or a proper Christian. But guess what? The Corinthians didn't want to listen to that either. <laughs> no surprise. And here's my question. I, 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 I could go further. I've got more, but here's the deal. Can anybody in here see the similarities between the, the church of Corinth and the Christian church in America today? Can you see that we're paralleling right alongside them? I'm pretty sure that you have seen this exact behavior out of people who absolutely believe that they're Christian, and we'll tell you that they are. And as I began to think about that, I said, yeah, Pastor, if you're going to say that, you better say the next one. Maybe sometimes it's even you. Maybe sometimes it's even me. You know what I hope the difference is? That I recognize and hear the small, still voice of God and that the spirit of the Antichrist is going to be set aside because it no longer control me and the spirit of God continues to expand. That's what I hope. Anybody? So the New Testament addresses this concept. And here's the deal. Did you know that there is a place of work for every single Christian? You know what, though? I think some Christians think they can retire. You know, the day is going to come that I'm going to retire as a pastor. I don't know when. It's going to be a while. But I can never retire as a Christian. Right? I mean, and as long as I have life and breath, as long as you have life and breath, you have a responsibility as a Christian in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of Christ, which is the church, is where we're supposed to be working. That's it. And I know, friends, that all of us work. The Bible says we must work in the church and we must work in society. I know that. In fact, the Bible requires us to do both, doesn't it? But I'm pretty sure that our lives get more work and attention than the church does. Does anybody disagree? Now, two things to consider. I'm not slamming people that are busy, and I'm not slamming people that work two jobs and three jobs and work a lot, whether on necessity or because you're trying to save money for something. In fact, I applaud you, but have that thing that we call balance. Amen? Does anybody know somebody who just refuses to work? They find one way or another not to have to work, and then you look at your own situation, you, when you're busting your tail, just trying to make ends meet, then you look back at that person who could work, but says, why should I? I mean, I... Golly gee, I, I make more money off the government doing nothing than I would going to work. I'd say we've got something wrong with the government, if that's true. But <laughs> don't get me started on that one. I don't want to sound political. <laughs> but I think, you know what? That just burns me. Does it burn you? Now, I could go into more detail, but I know I'm on a slippery slope, so I won't. But I also realize that some people can't work due to a disability, an illness, an injury, or some other reason. And yet, I also know positively, because I know people in this category, 
you know, those who can but just won't. You see, the Bible is clear about these types of people. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And people say, oh, I can't do that. Well, yes. You know what? Probably if we would follow the Bible, we wouldn't have this problem. What do you think about that? Now, I know there's somebody out there saying, I can't believe you said, Pastor, you said that. I didn't, God did. This is the Apostle Paul. Well, Jesus didn't say it. Well, Jesus appointed him. Jesus met him on the road and said, I want you to be my apostle, and I want you to do these things, didn't he? And he didn't want those things in there. Would he allow them in there? If Paul wrote some stuff that didn't belong there, would Jesus have allowed it? No. So what are we talking about then? You know the spirit of the Antichrist I'm talking about? Who wants to pick and choose? Sure. And perhaps we struggle with people like that, but the Bible isn't finished. It talks about another lazy person. You ready? 2 Timothy 2.15, Romans 12.11, and Hebrews 6.12. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, when you correctly handle the word of truth, you're a worker in God's kingdom. When you don't, you're not. When you correctly handle it, you're a worker. And when you don't, you're not. Now, friends, this is my worst. Again, right out of Scripture. He says, do not be slothful. There's that word. You almost got to spit when you say slothful because it's almost nasty. Do not be slothful, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. In other words, if you aren't fervent in serving the Lord, then you're slothful. I mean, they're in the same sentence. If you're slothful, you're not going to be fervent in serving the Lord, right? I mean, they go together. Just the opposite. If you're, but if, you, if, you, you know, if you're not fervent in serving the Lord, and let's face it, some of us aren't, then you're slothful in serving the Lord. And here's what we'll do. Oh, I'm not slothful. I do this and this and this and this. And God's like, for me? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you can make any case you want for yourself, but it isn't you that's trying the case. <laughs> yeah. He says, do not become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. In other words, if you're slothful and lazy and God says you are, regardless of what you think, you are not going to inherit what he's promised. So you can hang out over here in the heaven group all you want. But in the end, you're going to end up over here. And I'm not saying the people over here is in heaven, these people aren't. That's not what I'm saying. Don't you go out there and tell people I said that. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. There's people that attend church faithfully and have never gotten into the kingdom of heaven. And if they were, they're gone. Because you know what? What church you go to, what name's on the front door, who's who's in there, how much money they have, how big they are, how many mission trips they take, how nice a facility they have, how many buses they have or don't, 
That doesn't make a difference. That's not what does it. Now, if you think it does, I can show you a couple good ones. I, see, I, I shouldn't have to tell people. I, I shouldn't even have to say that. God shouldn't have to tell us that. But he did to the Corinthian church, and he does to the church in Terre Haute, too. Now, I want to tell you something, friends. I want you to fasten your seatbelts here because it's very important. The Bible warns us about being slack in our spiritual pursuit. Why? Very simple. Now, see, here's what's happening right here. Every single one of you, and I'm guaranteeing you you're doing it, every single one of you is putting yourself on that scale somewhere. And you're trying to determine in your own where you are, whether you're slothful and lazy or if you're fervent and crazy for God or if you're somewhere in between. And you know what? The sad part about it is most people are probably in between, and that's not where you ought to be. It's not. Because you know when you're, you, you know, we can pick out the slothful right now. And nobody, so what we do is do just enough so we're not slothful. And nobody can accuse us because we can say, well, I, you know. But God doesn't want you in the middle. He never has. <clears throat> he doesn't want you on the road to becoming better. He wants you to be better. It Doesn't he? Now, here's, here, here's, the, here's the killer for me. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. I'm, I'm like, what? Now, I knew it was there, but I didn't put it together with this message. And God said, no, 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 no. You have to understand why this is happening in the church, partner. And I, and I said, and I actually did this, friends. I'm going to admit it. I actually did this. <laughs> I did exactly what a lot of us do. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute, God. I've never heard another pastor put that passage with this other stuff over here and working and tilling the soil. You know what God said? Well, la-ti-da. I said, Billy, I never heard Billy Graham do it. I never heard. God said, am I talking to Billy Graham? And how do you know he didn't? He said, because anybody that's following me is going to see where this all comes together. And if you don't, then the spirit of the Antichrist is what's got your heart. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I began to look at this. I'm like, huh? yeah. You see, friends, I think this is exactly what's happened. I believe that Satan has helped us become so busy with life, even the really good things in life that we should all do. You understand what I'm saying? Should you invest in your children and children's activities? Yeah. Should you go to work? Yeah. Should you have free time and, and social time? and Yeah. Vacations? Yeah. Should you be on committees and boards and different? Yeah. Organizations? Yeah. But when they crowd out the most important thing, now you've got a problem. And the enemy will use anything, including good things, to do it. He will. And I, as I began to think about this, I thought, okay. So you're saying to me that even the good things are keeping us lacking and are working for the kingdom in our pursuit of deeper spirituality? God said, yeah, yeah. And when this happens, we begin to not only 
follow, but we become devoted to the teachings of demons. Because when you don't have time, and I mean a lot of time to spend here, what's teaching you? Now, come on. If it's not here, what is it? If you're not here on, on Sunday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday night at Mecca, or whatever, if you're not there, where are you? Now, be honest. If you're not there, where are you? And you know what? When you don't come here, you're not at church somewhere else probably. You're doing something else. And when you're not here, you couldn't be here probably because one of two things that you don't think you need it. And I assure you that you do. Because I do. Or you've got someplace else you have to be. Okay, it could be something else. You don't feel like it. If I'm being honest, huh? Now, come on. I don't have my glasses on because I can't, I can't see how you're reacting. And I'm not looking or thinking about anybody. But I'm telling you, friends, it's that important. Now, hear me now. You see, my wife and I had to make a decision. I thought we were pretty good. We had good kids. They were all pretty good in school. We, were do, we didn't always do things right, but we were at that point. We were doing things pretty right. Uh, I was uh, an assistant pastor at the church, and we were, you know, and, and we cleaned the church, and we did a lot of things. We went on Sunday nights. We went on Wednesday nights. Didn't we? We did. And, and here's the thing. But sometimes, gosh darn it, I didn't feel like it. Right? And I was busy, too. I mean, I was going to school full-time. I was pastoring uh, part-time at this time, and I was working full-time. And eventually, I became the pastor of that church, and guess what? I worked full-time, pastored full-time, and went to school full-time. Nobody ought to do that. that that's just dumb. And I, it nearly killed me, too. I, I, seriously, it almost did. But here's the deal, friends. I knew that I could be better than I was. I knew it. I knew I could be better. And I made excuses with myself and I made and for myself and I, and I and it you know what? I did all those things. Now, did 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 we miss any of our kids activities? No. By and large not. And you got to go to those things. I get it. But you can overdo it. And you know what? People today are overdoing it. And I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do an evaluation and I want you to ask God to evaluate it for you. Do you really need to be in all those things? Do your kids really need to be in all those things? Because here's my question. Are those things going to get anybody into heaven? No. And I'm not telling you not to do them, friends. I'm telling you, is God getting what He ought to get with your time? And is it changing your life on a daily basis? And are you teaching that to your children? And are your children teaching it to their friends? Are you teaching it to your friends? And are you doing something in the field that God has given you to cultivate? Because if you aren't, then there's something wrong with your life, and I don't care how good it is. And you know what? If you're not in the Word of God, and you're not in, in good teaching, and you're not in a, in a good small group, and everybody ought to be in those things every week. I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, you need to be in a small group or a Bible study every week on top of Sunday morning. Period. And if you're not, you can talk to the hand, because I'm not buying it. 
Because I know what life is. And I've done that, every bit of that stuff. I know. I know. And you know what, friends? You can't argue because you know. If you're honest with yourself, you know. But the Bible tells me right here in this passage that if you're not doing those things, then you are following and devoting yourself to the teachings of demons. And people say, oh, come on. And it means so coming on. Because if God doesn't have your ear in those times, who does? Society does. And who's got society's ear? Huh? Absolutely he does. You know, you ought to be happy. I just cut out a whole bunch of stuff. I cut to the chase. I had more to tell you. But clearly, God wants to wrap this up. You know, I was going to talk to you about the parables of Jesus, all the workers he talked about. Gosh, I ain't going to do any of that. Aren't you glad the pastor's obedient today? <laughs> Friends, let, let, I, want to, I feel like Ronald Reagan today. Let me put it another way. Friends, there are plain and simple biblical statements that we can't run from. The fact is, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there are true disciples and there are false disciples. He wants to know which one you are. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Listen, it is because you drove out demons didn't make you a Christian, or not a good one anyway. That's what he said right here. But that's what we would say, oh, so-and-so can, can heal the sick and he can drive out demons. He must be spiritual. Apparently, not necessarily. Now, this is Jesus talking, so we can't argue that one now, can we? He says, I'll tell him plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And you know what? And I think we read that and say, oh, I hope it's not me. I hope I'm not that person. What well, I mean you hope it is? Don't you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, okay, I'm going to put my glasses on for this one. I'm going I'm, I'm to look around. And I'm going to tell you this straight up. If you're one of those people that today, and I, I, I'm dead serious here. If you're one of those people that hopes it isn't you, you get out of your pew today. And you bring your fanny right here. Okay, your knees. And put them right there. Because God wants to tell you, and He will tell you. You know why? Because He wants you to know that you know that you know that if He would return in the next nanosecond, well done, good and faithful servant. Herein lies thy reward. He don't want to tell anybody away from me, I never knew you. And you can know today, right now, which one you are. Is it enough to me? It isn't enough to you. He says in Luke 6, Jesus again, that there are wise builders and there are foolish builders. He says, why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say? I mean, who's Jesus talking to? People out here on the street? No. He's talking to the church that says they belong to Him. Luke 6, 46. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul, that you have to work fully for the Lord. Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. What? Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord? Friends, I can tell you right now, I don't always give myself fully to the work of the Lord because sometimes I get tired and I need something else. I, I, you know what? I think God understands that. I do. But I also think that I could be better sometimes. And when I need to get away from it is when I probably ought to get near it. <laughs> does that make sense to you? It, it, it really does. My granddad just tell me that, you know, because he said, I hated social studies in school when I was in middle school. And he said, we always call that geography. Well, I don't care what you call it, Grandpa. It's the same thing. But the fact of the matter is, he goes, well, you know what? Let me tell you something. Here's what hasn't changed. The things that you don't do well in or the things you hate are the ones you've got to study the most in. <laughs> you know what? It appears to me that in the church, living the Christian life is what we hate. Because we're not doing it. And that means, what should we be doing? Working harder in it. Because that's the thing that's going to get you to heaven, not the other stuff. Remember that. Giving generously of your time and treasure. 2 Corinthians 9, 69. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having everything you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Friends, let me tell you something. I know for a positive fact that there are people in the kingdom of God that could give ten, twenty, and thirty thousand dollars like that, but they won't. I had this conversation about, I don't know, twelve, fourteen years ago with an individual that used to attend here, and we talked and we talked, and I'm not going to tell you who it is. Some of you would know. And this is what I said to him. We had a need, a big need, and he had cash, and I knew he had it. I don't, for whatever reason, the DS can go ask people money, and they give it to him. I go ask, they laugh at me. But, but, here, but here's the deal. I said, you know, dude, I, I, I know you've got a chunk of money sitting in the bank. I know it. You know, and, I'm not, and it's not my business, but, but we have a serious need here. And what are you afraid of? If you, if, you were to, if, if, if you were to bless the church with giving for that, if, if, if you, I mean, you've got, you've got 50, 60, 70, $100,000 in the bank, I know it for a fact, okay? Because you told me you did. So why couldn't you give 10000 to fix this? I mean, what are, you, what are you afraid of? You're afraid that God can't provide if you give it? That you're out of money, He can't provide for you? Well, it's not that. Well, what is it? Well, I don't know. I gave my 10%. What, what's that got to do with it? Really? That's what you, that's your argument to God? I gave my 10%? Or you're afraid that somebody else won't give their share and they could do it too? Does it matter what they could or couldn't do? No. You're worried that you're going to give more than somebody else? Some people wish they could give more than other people. Believe me, if I, my, you ask my wife. My wife will tell you, I would be, I would, I'm already poor, but I'd be more poor if I had money because I would give it to the church. I would. 
I give. I I would literally give. I would give any. Would I give anybody anything? That's me. And maybe that's dumb. I don't know. But I'll tell you something. I know where my source is. And he has never, ever left me in the cold. Ever. And then he tells us in Galatians 6 that pleasing the flesh brings destruction, but pleasing the Spirit brings eternal life. You see, this one's a self-explanatory, and God isn't kidding. Because pleasing ourselves and others is more important to us sometimes than pleasing God, and that's the truth. And we're going to be an awful lot better off, my friends, when we admit it and then change it. i got to be done here, but I want to tell you something. Paul then prays for the Christians. And he says, this is my prayer for you. And this one's simple. He's saying that we realize, when we pray, we realize what's getting our affection. And if it isn't the kingdom of God first, then what could you do to make it so? But to do that, God has to have your mind. But as it is, your minds are on other things, like what you're going to do for lunch today or whether or not you're going to come to service tonight or what, if you're going to take a nap today or, what, or the Super Bowl or whatever. I'm serious, friends. That's, that's what's on your mind. And I think at least for this amount of time, it ought to be something else because the Super Bowl is going to be played whether you're there to watch it or not. And good night today with the technology we have. You could record it anyway. But the problem is we want our own minds. I want my own mind. You want your own mind. People want their own minds. In fact, we claim that it's ours anyway. But when you're a Christian, it isn't. You gave it up when you said yes to Christ, didn't you? You gave your heart and your mind to Christ. Yes or no? Okay. Some people don't believe me, but don't believe me, believe him. So what's more important, friends? Eternal life or life on earth? And which one are you living? Which one are you living for? What are you doing? What's your week comprised of? What's going to get your time? What's going to get your, your treasure? God wants to know. So here's my question to you. Will I see you on Wednesday evening? All of you? If not, why not? Really? Are you going to really make an excuse? How about tonight? Will you be here tonight? Now, I realize if you can't be here tonight, I mean, I, I can't be. My mother has cancer again. And so I'm leaving tonight, and I'm going to South Bend so I can take her to her biopsy tomorrow. So I need your prayers. But if I wasn't doing that, you know where I'd be tonight? Right here. Because that's where I belong. Whether there's me and nobody else, or just one of you, or a whole throng of you, this is where I belong. And yes... I can still get home and watch the Super Bowl if I want. When we offer them, will you get into a small group? When Mandy calls you and says, will you get into a small group? What are you going to tell her? She wants to know, don't you? What else will you do? What's God asking you to do that you're not doing? 
Do you even know if God's speaking to you or not? So, friends, here's my question to you. Do you want to grow? Do you, as an individual, your garden, your vineyard, your field, you, yourself, do you want to grow? Because God already knows if you do or you don't. But just like Abraham, he wants you to know whether you do or don't. He wants you to know. Do you want your church to grow? Do you really want your church to grow? Do you want the church of God to grow? Both numerically and spiritually. Then give more. Give more money because you got it. Don't worry about the 10%. That's just a guideline. God wants a minimum of that, but let's face it. We could give a lot more than that. Give more time to God and His church. And when you do that, you're giving to yourself, believe it or not. And if you've got children, you're giving to them too because you're teaching them when you no longer control them how to be. You understand that? are because I had to do it, and I know. And then understand that whether your children like something or they don't doesn't really matter. Who's the parent? Who's the parent? You see, we're a family. The entire kingdom of God is a family, and every family member has to help out in order to keep the family together and the family moving forward and the family working together. But the problem with it is everybody has chores and things that they need to complete, but the church is full of people who are in the family in name only, and a very few family members are doing everything else. Kind of like in some of our homes today. And the fact is, it just can't be that way. It doesn't work in the family home, and it won't work in this one. Whether it's the one here or the one universal, it won't work. And it's not working. And that's why the church is laughed at today. That's why we're not strong like we used to be. We won't call out the stuff that we're supposed to call out. And we won't do our part. And then some. Remember last week about the household of God, Timothy 3.15. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. We've said that. But I want you to consider this as we close today. And worship team, please come. Revelation 14.13. Listen to this. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, for they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. That's a fact. What you do from this point forward is up to you. It really is. But I'm telling you, friends, if God was speaking to you today, and I'm pretty sure He was speaking to everybody in some manner, because He sure was speaking to me when I put this thing together, and I said, oh, Lord, don't make me give that sermon. Well, when God speaks, you have two choices. Either you're going to listen and then do, which proves you listened, or you'll listen and do nothing. And God will get no glory whatsoever from any of it. But if you do it, I assure you, not only will God cultivate your field to the point where it begins to grow fruit, but pretty good fruit too. And other people will see that fruit. And it'll influence other people to let God cultivate their garden too. And some people have never, didn't even know they had one. 
And God wants to show them who he is and why he is and give them exactly what he gave you because he wants to see every single person who ever had a heartbeat, ever created in the womb to live eternity with him. And we cannot rest as a church until we assure that we're there and everybody we can take with us can go. And the spirit of the Antichrist is pushed out and the spirit of God reigns supreme.